Thank you for choosing to listen to our sermon podcast. My name is Chris Mitchell. I'm one of the pastors here at First Covenant Church of Anchorage. If you have any questions or prayer requests, feel free to stop by or send an email to office at anchoragefirstcovenant.com. God bless. Good morning, everyone. It's so good to be back with you all. I had missed being with you over the last half a month. Um, and last week I was able to attend our denomination's midwinter gathering where Pastor Christy and I both passed our ordination interviews. Um, so if all keeps on track, we should be ordained this summer at Gather, the ECC's annual business meeting. So thank you all for your support and your prayers as Pastor Christy and I have moved through this process. Uh, now, as our first sermon series of 2023, I want us to work through First Peter. Uh, this was a letter that Peter wrote to be circulated around various churches in different communities. Now, if you remember your gospel stories, Peter was a fisherman. Jesus saw him fishing and called out to him. Jesus said, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And Peter left his nets, he left his jobs, he left everything to follow Jesus. And Jesus showed Peter miraculous things. Jesus healed people. He cured them of blindness and paralysis and leprosy. Jesus cast out demons and forgave people of their sins. He made people whole again. And Peter was with them the whole time. Except for at the end, when things got real. And there were real consequences for following Jesus. Then, when put to the test, Peter gave in to his fear and disappointment. Peter was convinced that Jesus was the Messiah the promised one of Israel, the fulfillment of all the prophecies, and he would redeem and restore Israel. So when the police came to arrest Jesus, Jesus drew a sword and he was ready to fight. He even cut off some of the ears. But Jesus rebuked Peter. Jesus healed the wounded man. And then was, he was taken away captive to be tried and executed. And to Peter, to everyone, it appeared that Jesus had lost that he was just another false messiah, or worse, a messiah that failed. So Peter gave up. He denied Jesus. For all of his big bluster and big talk, when it came down to the wire, Peter folded. Now, fortunately, that's not the end of Peter's story. The messiah that Peter denied was killed. He was tortured and killed in the method that, that was the most shameful way that people knew. Right? So the cross was an instrument of shame, more so than the physical punishment. It was a humiliation. And Jesus took that shame. He took the torture. He took the blame. And he gave up all of his power and might, dying on the cross. But death could not hold him. Jesus took all of that blame and shame and guilt to the grave, and he rose from the dead to assume his place at the right hand of God his Father. But before he completely ascended, Jesus met with his disciples again. He blessed them. He restored them. And he sent the disciples to declare his forgiveness and grace to, to all people, so that all people might come to him in repentance, to be healed and restored, baptized and discipled into a new life under his authority and grace. So that's Peter's background, a failed disciple that had been restored. And so when Peter wrote, he wrote as one that knew what it was like to lose one's faith. He knew what it was like to be tempted by security. 
He knew what it was like to want to hide one's faith. He knew what it's like to fear persecution and humiliation because he experienced all those things too. And he failed. The most important thing in his life, the most important person in his life, the greatest commitment in his life, and he blew it. But that's not the end of his story. He was restored. Peter was given a second chance. And so when he writes, it with a, it's with a passion and commitment to help people not make the same mistakes that he did. And that's why we're reading this. Because in this life, we will meet with many trials and temptations. We will be tempted to set aside our faith because we're afraid it will make us look foolish or because it seems irrelevant or because we're afraid of persecution and shame. But we reach out, studying scripture, to hear words of encouragement and teachings of someone who knew Jesus intimately but dealt with the same struggles. Someone who feared persecution. Someone who was even eventually killed for his faith. So with all that in mind, let's read 1 Peter 1, 1 through 1-12. Peter, an apostle of Lord Jesus... Let me try that again. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, the God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are being shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. In all of this, you greatly rejoice. Though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you, not have, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy for you receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told to you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Now, after the introductions and salutations in verses 1 through 3, Peter writes a little doxology. A doxology is a hymn that's meant to be sung or recited in a group to give praise to God. And this doxology acts as a summary of the entire letter. And if we read it again, we can see what the emphasis will be in this letter. It's new birth. Through the cross, Christ offers us all a chance for new birth, of a new life. And, th and that new birth, it means three things. First, new birth means that we're born into a living hope. Jesus rose from the dead. 
Our hope is not in traditions. It's not in what we can do. It's not even in the Bible, um, in, in Holy Scripture. Our hope is in the living Christ. And when we follow the living Christ, he gives us new life, a new way of living and moving through the world. It changes our orientation. We are no longer just living for today or for the moment. We are living for eternity. We are no longer live only for ourselves and for our, our little tribe. But instead, we're called to the hope for the kingdom of God where all heaven and earth will be reconciled, where death is defeated, and where Christ will reign forever. Um, this is 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. And that brings us to the second thing that Peter says about new birth in Christ. As new creations, we are born into an inheritance. Once our inheritance was death, it was separation from God. That is what we were born into. We were born into destruction. We were born into heartache. We were born into suffering. That is what being human means. It means living and working and dying. It's what we all know. That the end result of being alive, no matter how big, how strong, how wise, how smart, how good, how generous, how lucky, how rich, how powerful, how beautiful, how whatever, the end result of life is the same. Death. But in Christ, death is not death. It is not the end. There is an inheritance for us, one does not, that does not perish or spoil or fade because God keeps it for us. Our life is now found in Christ. So whatever happens in this season of life, whatever heartache, whatever trouble, whatever sorrow, whatever betrayal, whatever disillusionment, whatever weariness, whatever we may feel, it is not the end. There is more to this life than this life. And so we need to keep an eternal perspective. And so as Paul wrote in Colossians 3, 1 through 4, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Your life is now with Christ. He, your inheritance is with Christ. And new birth ultimately leads to the coming salvation. Now, this just isn't the salvation of ourselves, but the coming of the fullness of the kingdom of God, the salvation of everything. When heaven and earth are made one under the full lordship of Christ, and once again, this is a reminder, we only live in part of the story. The story is much richer and fuller. The real story started before we were born, and it goes on into eternity. And we're called to live into the fuller story, not just this temporary moment, but into the greater narrative that God is writing that begins with his creation and goes on until his redemption. With our eyes on the eternal, we can weather whatever pain or hardship we might momentarily experience. Because right now, in this life, Eternity is being written upon our souls. We're being trained for the forever. Whatever we may suffer is just temporary. And this is something we can learn from the faithful in other countries, and, and really from the historic church throughout the ages. We can learn this from people in places of poverty, in places where there's injustice, in places where there is persecution. 
and places where folks have suffered, really suffered for their faith. We can learn from Christians in those places because where there has been suffering, we often find some of the most spiritually rich people. And that's why we can look to the global south and Africa and South America and Asia where the church is the most vibrant today. Yes, there may be poverty and crime and corruption, but there's also the Spirit of God at work transforming people. And that, that's, that's how persecuted groups, such as uh, African Americans who have experienced persecution after persecution and justice after injustice, can develop such a rich theological tradition that exposes God's desire to bring uh, freedom and healing and wholeness and justice in this world. Uh, this is how, after the injustices that Native Americans and Alaska Natives have experienced, you can find men and women with such a deep, abiding, strong faith in Christ Jesus. And as I say all the time, God never desires evil. He never desires hurt. He never desires our suffering upon his people. His posture towards his creation is always one of love. However, we all know evil happens. Suffering happens. But Jesus loves us too much to let evil have the last word. And whatever Satan means for evil, Christ uses for the good. And so when we experience the hardships of life, the hardships of faithfulness, those are things that Satan and the powers of this world are trying to use to tear us down. They're meant to discourage. They're meant to have us abandon hope. They're meant to keep us inwardly focused. The suffering we experience is meant to separate us from the love of God. But, but in Christ, there is no separation. There is hope. And therefore, the evil and the suffering and the pain and the brokenness in life does not have the last word. So that in all of this, you can greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. And that's why some of those who seem to have experienced the worst hardships are the ones that seem to have the most steadfast faith. Think about your heroes of faith, the people that you know that are role models for faithfulness and trust in Christ. I bet you, in almost all of their stories, you will find heartbreaking sorrows. You will find suffering. You will find trials. You will find dark nights of the soul. But through it all, you'll find that crisis sustained them, redeemed them, and healed them. Church, this world will tempt you, and it will punish you. And you will experience great moments of transcendent love and terrible, horrific tragedies that you could never expect or prepare for. That's the human experience. You will experience need. You will have dark nights of your soul where God seems far away. Jesus' greatest triumph was the humiliation of the cross, where even he felt God forsaken. And Jesus explicitly told his followers that any who follow him will also take up their own cross. So why are we so surprised when our faith seems burdensome? Peter knew doubt. He knew fear of persecution. He knew what it was like to be loudly proclaiming Jesus is the Savior of the world. 
to only run away and deny that he ever knew Jesus a moment later. And so he tells us from experience to live into our new birth, into the living hope, into the inheritance, into the full salvation of Christ. There is nothing else in the world that is more important. So people of God, I implore you in the name of Christ to look ahead. God has a glorious future for you. Learn to live into it. I implore you in the name of Christ to remember the past. God has always had a plan for the redemption of creation. And I'm, I'm trying to keep the service a little shorter due to the annual meeting after service, so I, I don't have time to go into the history of Israel. But Jesus is the fulfillment of all the promises of the law and the prophets of the Bible. That's what the verses 10 through 12 is about. All of the future and all of the past find their ultimate fulfillment in Christ Jesus. He is the first and last. He is the beginning and the end. So learn to trust in him. Learn. And he will be with you. Now, I told you that verses 3 to 5 were a doxology. It was written to be recited or possibly sung by a congregation. And, and there, there were some things in Greek that made the flow a little bit um, you know, more poetic. You know, there's some alliteration and rhyme to the verses. Things that don't transfer well when you translate. But we're going to do our best and read those verses together. Uh, remember, back when this was written, most people were illiterate, so they recited things together as a, for, as a way to form themselves spiritually. Much like as a congregation, we pray the Lord's Prayer and we'll sing the doxology together. So let's read 1 Peter chapters 1, verses 3-5 to 5 together. Praise be to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His mercy He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Amen.